following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, well, there are two verses this morning that I would like to put side by side. On uh, the one hand, Romans 3.23, and on the other, Romans 6.23. So on this hand, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Then on the other hand, we have Romans 6.23 that says, The wages of sin is death. So we have all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. So what I'd like to do is look at these two verses side by side, and I want us to start with the first one. All have sinned. That is all-encompassing. That is everyone. That is all of us. In the Greek, the word all means all. It's you, it's me, it's us, it's all of us. All have sinned. There is not one who is good. There is not one who is perfect. There is not one who is pure. And I don't think, I don't think that I need to convince you of that either. Because you know this to be true. Sin is is going against or transgressing against God's law. We see it in our pride, in lust, in anger in our laziness, in our envy, our gluttony, our greed. We see these things in ourselves, regardless of who you are, regardless of what culture you're a part of, regardless of what time period you were born into. Here's the reality is we are all marked by sin. We are all under sin. And hear me, I, I, I know that the idea of sin is under attack. And there's this idea out there that, you know, what's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is what's right for me. You know, you've heard this, right? I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm technically a millennial. So, you know, I get it. I get this. But no matter how much, no matter how much we try to redefine um, renegotiate the terms, no matter how much we try to move past this, this idea of sin, sin is just baked in. Evil's still evil and sin is still sin. And, and listen, I just want to, just for a moment, let me push this forward a little bit. Let's just imagine and say for a minute that you can redefine sin, that you can say something like, you know, what's right for me is what's right for me. And What's wrong for me is what's wrong for me, right? You can say something like it. Let's imagine that we're true. Here's the crazy part. You would even fail at those standards. You would fail at your own standards. How many times, church, have you violated, gone against what you know to be is right? How how many times have you violated your own conscience? There's a universal truth. All have sinned. There is not one who is good. There is not one who is righteous. And in fact, um, if you were to look before this verse in Romans 3.23, if you were to look a little bit further down in, in, in verse 10, Paul says it even more clearly. Listen to this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. How is that for clarity? 
not even one, because all have sinned, all fall short of the glory, the perfection of our God. We fall short. The Bible tells us the truth about what we already know to be true about ourselves, that we are broken, that all have sinned. Now, because that is true, then this second verse, Romans 6.23, has incredible relevance to each one of us. See, all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. So all have sinned and the wages of that sin is death. Wages, meaning death is what is rightly earned because of our sin, death. James 1.15 says, when desire um, is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is grown up, it brings forth death, right? We, we look back, we can even think back of the garden in Genesis 2, when God says, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, what will happen? You will surely die. Here's the deal. All throughout scripture, there is this undeniable link from sin to death. Sin leads to death. Sin produces death. Sin, even church, requires death. For all have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. Now, I want to ask you, what do you think about when you hear that? When you hear that the wages of sin is death, what do you think about when you think of that death? I would guess that, that many of us think instantly, well, of course, I mean, one day I'm going to die. Outside of Jesus coming again, one day we're going to die. And that's absolutely true. The fact that you and, all, and I will face death is a universal fact, just as universal as the fact that we all have sinned. And it's absolutely true that that is an effect of sin. But I believe that there is more here than that, much more. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think with me, think back with me to the sacrificial system. <laughs> Some of you are like, what are you doing, Pastor? Um, this is Palm Sunday. I know that. And um, some of you are thinking, well, why are we talking about this on Palm Sunday, right? I get it. I got to keep you on your toes, right? Um, listen, I believe that the Lord would have us see something this morning. And so I want to invite you to follow me. And I want you to consider the Old Testament sacrificial system just for a moment. Now, I would expect that not many of us are, are kind of extra familiar with the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And there's a good reason for that, because you don't practice it, or at least you shouldn't be practicing it. If you are, um, stop it. Uh, <laughs> because, listen, we don't kill goats or sheep or bulls or doves when you sin. You don't go out back and, like, grab a ram and at least you shouldn't, right? And because of this, I'm sure that not many of us are all that conversant with the uh, sacrificial system that we read about, for example, in the book of Leviticus. But for a moment, can we just consider, stop and consider the sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, the sacrificial system was a way of dealing with sin. And let me just add to this and say it was a way of temporarily dealing with sin temporarily covering sin. In the system, 
there were three things, and I want us to remember these three things, all right? Three things that were true in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Number one is the animal for the sacrifice had to be spotless. Like, it couldn't have been that 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 uh, crippled, kind of janky one over there, right? It had to be, no, it had to be the spotless one, the pure one. It, it was a costly thing. That was number one. Number two is that the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with that animal. In other words, there were, there was this acknowledgement that this animal was on this altar because of my sin. Because of what I have done. It is my sin that holds this animal here, right? That's number two. So, so the animal had to be spotless. The person, number two, had to identify with the animal. And number three, the person offering the animal took part in inflicting death upon it. Now, think about this. In this way, sin was gross. It was costly. It was weighty. In this way, there was this visceral reminder of what sin is, of what sin does, and what sin produces. In this way, the distance between sin and the death that it caused grew smaller. You see it. What an incredible reminder, right? What an incredible visual for these people. As they practice this, Scripture says, when done in faith, the sacrifice provided a temporary covering for their sin. It purified the people of their sin. Now, this was not a one-time thing either. This was an ongoing practice because guess what? People sin ongoing. They don't do like a one-time deal, right? No, this was an ongoing sin. And so therefore, the sacrifice for that sin was ongoing. Now, just for a quick moment, um, let me, let's think about one more kind of sacrifice that we see in, that you can actually read about in Leviticus 16. It was, it was the sacrifice that was made on the day of atonement. And this one is really interesting. The, the sacrifice demonstrated, this sacrifice on the day of atonement demonstrated two things. One, the forgiveness of sin, and then also the removal of sin. So here's what happened. In this sacrifice, the, the high priest would take two male goats. Remember, this was spotless, pure goats, right? And this was uh, for a sin offering that was made to be made once a year. So these spotless, blameless goats would be brought in. And one of these goats would be sacrificed as a sin offering for the people of Israel. So this was for the whole community, for the entire people. It was done by the high priest, and it was done on behalf of the people. Then the other goat was released into the wilderness. Now, if I was to pick one of these goats, I would want to be the second one, right? So one, the sin offering, the first goat was, was um, sacrificed. It, it provided forgiveness, forgiveness of sin of the people. While the other goat, the goat that was um, released out of the city, <clears throat> provided the removal of sin from the people. See, the sin was placed on that goat, and that goat was then removed from the people, sent out into the wilderness. And by the way, just so you know, if you've heard the term scapegoat, well, that's where we get this term from, scapegoat. It's that second goat. Now, again, 
This was not a one-time thing. None of these sacrifices were. This was practiced each year for the uh, Jewish people. This is Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. This was ongoing in order to cover sin. And again, it's just such powerful imagery, such powerful reminder of sin and of the effects of sin. And I want you to just think about something with me. Just think about if you and I, if we still thought about our sin with such vivid imagery, how would that change things? I mean, I, I know I, I, I definitely don't think of, of sin this way. I don't think of like selecting a spotless animal that had nothing to do with the sin that I committed. I definitely don't think of taking that animal to an altar and taking that animal's life. No. I don't often think of the gruesome nature of my sin like this. You know, I, I, I more or less think about the consequences of my sin being, you know, yeah, the world's not the way it should be and subject to death at some point. I mean, that's all certainly true, but I want to challenge and expand our understanding this morning of sin, death, Christ, his cross, and forgiveness. I do. And, and to do this, I, I want you to turn with me to our text this morning in Hebrews 9. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, I just want to invite you to grab one of ours. There should be one right around you. should be a hardback black one or a blue one. Just grab that. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, I would just love to give you one. I, I mean, just grab one of ours around you and it is yours, all right? We've had the privilege of giving away cases of these Bibles and it is a great joy for us as a church to be able to do that. So just grab it. No strings attached. You don't even need to tell us about it. You can even pretend like you're stealing it and walk out of here, right? Just take it with you. It's our pleasure, all right? Um, Hebrews chapter 9. So remember, all have sinned, and the wages of that sin is death. Now, with that in mind, with the, uh, the sacrificial system in your mind, in that context, let me introduce you to Jesus. Listen to this. Hebrews. Chapter 9, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. And, and, and don't miss this. I love that church because remember, those sacrifices, they weren't a once and for all kind of thing, right? No, they were ongoing. But here Jesus, verse 12, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. <laughs> Again, the sacrificial system, what did it offer? It offered a temporary covering of sin. It dealt temporarily with our sin, but not with Christ. Christ was a once-for-all covering of sin, securing eternal redemption, dealing eternally with our sin. And just listen to this comparison here, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify uh, for the purification of the flesh, listen to this, verse 14. How much more, how much more will the blood of Christ 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That will preach, church. How much more? Jesus without spot or blemish. How much more? Jesus, the spotless and perfect lamb of God. How much more, church? Jesus, the holy, the righteous one. Jesus, whose life, by the way, was not taken from him, but as scripture says, Jesus, who willingly gave his life, offered himself. How much more, church? Verse 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Remember that sacrificial system, right? Remember Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Because of sin, church, there is death. So, in verse 15, since the death of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ has occurred, church, there is redemption. Look at me with, at verse 19 as this just gets unpacked even more. Looking back at that Old Testament sacrificial system. Listen to this, verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and with water, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. And now listen to this church. Verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Church, let us just say this again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is, was, and will always be death. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, all of this sacrificial system, all of the goats, all of the scapegoats, all of the rams, all the calves, all of it was meant to teach us, to point us to the deeper reality through Jesus Christ. Verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. No, 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 no. As a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. No, but listen to this. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Listen, church, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of our God and the wages of that sin is death. And as our text has just said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that blood, that death should be yours. See, we are in this season, church, when our eyes are drawn to the cross, to the resurrection of Jesus. This is Easter season. And over the next several weeks, we're going to just be, we're going to be talking about the gospel. 
And this morning, I want to I want us to ask together and to answer together, why did Jesus have to die? What did his death accomplish? Church, he died for the forgiveness of your sins as the perfect once and for all sacrifice. And I want you to think about this with me. Listen to this. Think about this with me. Do you remember the three requirements that we talked about for the Old Testament sacrificial system? You remember them? Let's go through them again. So the first is that the sacrifice had to be spotless. Church, this was accomplished in Christ Jesus. He was perfect. He was sinless. Scripture says he was tempted in every way as you and I are, yet he was without sin. He was the perfect and the spotless Lamb of God. Christ is perfect. And it is only through that that he is able now to offer himself once and for all for you the sinless one for the sins of the world. The sacrifice church had to be perfect and he is. The second thing is that the person must identify with the sacrifice. In other words, the person must realize that this sacrifice is being made because of my sin. One of my favorite, if not my all-time favorite hymns is how deep the father's love for us. And the second verse of this hymn says it so well. It says, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Listen to this. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Listen, church, to be in Christ is to identify with Christ in his death. Meaning, it was my sin that held him there. He did not have sin. He was perfect. He was spotless. And on that cross, my sin was placed on him. It was my sin on his shoulders. It was my sin that held him there. To identify with Christ, church, to be a Christ follower, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, church, is to identify with Christ in his death, to understand that it was your sin. The wages of sin is death, and on that cross, church, the wages of sin were paid in full. So, the sacrifice had to be perfect, and he is. Second, the person must identify with the sacrifice, and church, we must. And third, the person had to take part in inflicting death upon it. In 2004, there was a movie released called The Passion of the Christ. And if you haven't seen it, it's a movie that, that recounts the agony of the cross of Christ in those final moments. The movie was directed by Mel Gibson. And after the movie was released, it, it came out that Mel Gibson had played a cam- had a cameo appearance in the movie. Did you hear about this? In this, uh, in this intense and heavy scene, as Jesus was, uh, was laid on the cross, before the cross was hoisted up, the soldiers hold down his hands and his feet in order that the nails may be driven through. And as they held down his hands, you, you see the hand of a soldier who is holding, clutching a hammer. And with that hammer, drives the nails in Jesus' hands and his feet. 
that hand holding that hammer was the hand of Mel Gibson. And when he was, uh, when he was interviewed about this strange cameo appearance, um, he said that the, that the gesture underscores his feeling of guilt. And, and they asked kind of what that meant. What, what do you mean by that? And he, and he said, I read this article where he said, this was symbolic of the fact that I hold myself accountable first and foremost for Jesus's death. Why would he feel that guilt? Should he feel that guilt? Is it right to feel that guilt? Church, when we understand that Jesus was perfect, that he was sinless, that he was pure, when we understand it was our sin that was placed on him and it was our sin that held him there, when we understand that, we begin to understand that it was like our hands that drove in those nails. In other words, you may not have been there personally, But church, your sin was there. You weren't there, but your sin was. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, church, is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is incredible. I love being a gospel preacher. Um, (laughs) I really do. I believe with everything in me that this is the message that we all need to hear this morning, regardless of who you are. If you are here and you are a follower of Christ, if you are here and you are unsure, and if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, regardless of who you are, this is the message that we must grasp. The gospel is what you need for a moment. I'd like to speak to those who have responded to the gospel this morning. For those who would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to speak to you for just a moment because there is a phenomenon that we have talked about often. And uh, we've called it affectionately gospel amnesia. Now, gospel amnesia is this strange tendency that we have as humans, as believers in Jesus to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, be changed by it. But then... As time passes, we we somehow forget the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. We then have these moments that we are um, re-reminded again when we're brought to our knees, kind of like when we were singing this morning, this just glorious truth of the gospel just re-reminds us of the gospel. Have you been there? But gospel amnesia is this tendency that we all have to wander, to forget, to to forget about the gospel that has so radically changed our lives. And you know, there is a remedy. There is a cure for our gospel amnesia. There is a medication. You know what the medication, the remedy for our gospel forgetfulness, our gospel amnesia is? Hear me. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear me. It is to constantly and continually remove the distance. To constantly and to continually remove the distance. See, gospel amnesia happens when the distance of time begins to sink in and we grow forgetful. This was the beauty, church, of the Old Testament sacrificial system because what did it do? It removed the distance. All of a sudden, we witnessed the result of the death that was the result of our sin. That distance was 
removed. But here's what happens. When the cross of Jesus was kind of that back then thing and the consequences of our sin is kind of that then and later thing, you know what happens? Gospel amnesia settles in because distance creeps in and we grow, church, complacent and forgetful. Have you ever been there? Distance creeps in, gospel amnesia sets in. But when we remove that distance, when we remove the distance between us and the cross by realizing that it was our sin that held Jesus there, when we identify with Christ in his death, when we realize that it was like our hand that was holding that hammer, church, when we realize this, we remove the distance. And we're able to see, to experience the wonder, the joy of the gospel all over again. And here's the reality, um, church. Jesus knew that you would struggle with gospel amnesia. He knew it. Um, In fact, he has prepared us as the church to be able to deal with it. It, it, This is exactly the plan and the purpose for communion, the Lord's Supper. I don't know if you've ever thought of it in this light, but that's really what it is. I mean, think of 1 Corinthians 11. 23, he said, Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, right? And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. (laughs) Oh, you who are prone to forget. Oh, you forgetful ones. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, verse 25, after supper saying, this is the cup, uh, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it again in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, do you see what Jesus just just did there? I mean, this is incredible. He said, here, I'm going to give you a way to continually and ongoingly remind yourself of the gospel because you're going to need it. (laughs) I'm going to give you a continual and ongoing way to remove the distance as you gather. He says, come together often, and when you do, do this so that you remember again. (laughs) This is incredible. Here at Stone Oak Bible, we remember Christ through communion weekly. Why do we do this? Well, one of the reasons is because you are forgetful. (laughs) Don't be offended. I hope you're not. We do this because we are forgetful. We are prone to gospel amnesia. We are prone to allow distraction. We're prone to allow church. Here it is. We're prone to allow distance to settle in. Let us together, church, remove that distance. As we take communion this morning, let me remind you what the cup and what the bread are meant to remind you of. Our text in Hebrews continues a bit further down in in chapter 10, verse 14. And I want to end with this reminder. It says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 17, he says, he adds this. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Why? There's no need. This is now, through Christ, no need for any additional offering of sin. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. Today, church, let us remind ourselves that Jesus has paid the debt, that the wage has been paid in full for all of those who are in Christ. And before we take communion this morning, if you're here and you've never placed your trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for your salvation, for life eternally, church, come to Christ. He died for you. He willingly went to the cross for you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for the joy church. In fact, I can't, I can't end without, without, without doing this. Cause you see one of our verses, Romans 6, 23, we've only really looked at the first half and, and that's just, that just won't do. Um, we looked at a, and we need to look at B as well. See Romans 6, 23, a says for the wages of sin is death, but it does not end there. church. It continues says for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, church, the free gift of our God is eternal life. And that gift is in Christ Jesus. And that gift is being offered to you this morning. Place your trust in Christ this morning for the forgiveness of your sins. And with joy, accept the free gift of our God through Jesus. Come to Christ.